And now we want to share something special with our listeners, introducing Lit and Lit Extra, the new hot sauce IEX just created. We're calling it the official, unofficial hot sauce of the stock market. It's a perfect blend of spice and high-performance flavor. You'll definitely want to get your hands on some. You can check it out at iextrading.com slash podcast to get your fix while supplies last, or tag us at iex and let us know how you like it. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. I'm here with John Welcome Ramsey. Welcome to this special crypto episode of Boxes and Lines. Frank, uh, our guest is Frank Shapiro. Right now, he's just like, what in the name of Christ did I walk in on? <laughs> <laughs> this is our traditional it's shit too late, Irish Frank. accent. You can't back out now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> so, I've Frank, thank you. Booked thanks, this room for an hour, so gotta, <laughs> you I got to stay. <laughs> you got you to stay. You got to talk. Uh, Frank, Frank, uh, we've we've a background relationship, and Frank used to uh, cover our space uh, back when he was at Business Insider, mm-hmm. and then a few years ago uh, moved over, transitioned to director of news at the Block. I think you have a handle now, FinTech Frank, and you're quite yeah. an avid Twitter and all these other social media things that Ronan doesn't use, mm-hmm. and John never even heard of. But uh, anyway, <laughs> well, welcome, <laughs> welcome, Frank. We appreciate you joining us. And, and before you kick off, I want to just say, listeners, we've been listening to you because we put a survey out there and you all said you wanted to hear about crypto. Frank is our crypto man. Twitter mm-hmm. is my full-time job. The block uh-huh. is really my, <laughs> my hobby or, or passion on the side. That's great. Nice. Yeah. And it's great to be on the show. I'm an, I'm an avid listener, a passionate listener passionate. of boxings and lines. It's, it's really how I <laughs> stay in you touch with the equity market structure world, even under the hood at the block covering this crazy wild world of, of Bitcoin. But I, I like to think that I kind of cover the, the most unsexy, the most pedantic, wonky aspects of it, trying to make sense of the developing market structure in crypto. It does have a degree of market structure, um, but I'm sure we'll get into a bit of that. Happy to be on the show. Cool. Absolutely. And, and I, I guess that lends itself right into our first question. So, you know, crypto, digital asset, a lot of buzzwords thrown around. And we thought, no better than have Frank come on here and just sort of, can, can you break down crypto and digital asset, like the landscape very broadly, and then we can jump in with other questions, but as broad as you can go. Well, I think I, I benefit from the fact that I didn't come into this space as some weird um, evangelist. I was kind of at BI mm. covering, you know, your firm, CBOE, CME, Virtu, Nisey, ICE, the list goes on. And a lot of these same companies began dabbling in the Bitcoin world. And, and so my editor at the time kind of was like, are you paying attention to this Bitcoin thing? And I was like, absolutely not. Like <laughs> it, it was, it was like, it was kind of strange because I wanted to, you know, focus on things like, you know, you know, just broader topics in market structure, you guys trying to do the listings thing or CBOE trying to get that market close um, across the finish line. And all these other, you know, the data wars that were ongoing. And, you know, Bitcoin in the beginning was kind of like this nuisance topic that like I just was kind of forced to cover. But anyway, um, once futures kind of came on board in 2017, CME, CBOE doing futures, there was much more of this institutional narrative. So um, interestingly, like the the sort of worlds collided and um, I kind of had to like really ramp up coverage on Bitcoin. I ended up leaving VI and I'd say like Bitcoin was 90% of what I was writing about, but it was more, more like trading related topics. So like how did 
um, you know, Winklevoss, uh, the Winklevoss who ran, who run Gemini, like how are they going to structure um, their platform to support CBOE's Bitcoin futures, like those types of topics. But anyway, a lot has changed since then. The institutional narrative continues to develop. And today, right, you have kind of the Bitcoin narrative that's growing the price. I, I just checked it. It's like ever changing this morning when I woke up, it was at 37,000. Now it's down to 34,000. Um, institutional narrative has been driving it, but you also have this DeFi world. So these platforms that are on Ethereum, which is the second largest blockchain uh, that are trying to kind of revamp the way a lot of Wall Street mechanisms work, right? Whether it's lending, trading, et cetera, built on Ethereum. So those are kind of the two main focus areas today. You have what's going on in Bitcoin, um, institutions thinking that this is kind of like a big investment opportunity as a hedge against inflation, a hedge, a hedge against this aggressive monetary policy that we've been seeing in broader markets. And then Ethereum, the second largest, um, a lot of applications are being built on that to facilitate like peer-to-peer -peer trading and really revolutionize liquidity um, in some interesting ways, right? And revolutionize peer-to-peer -peer lending, which has been you know, something that's been talked about in traditional markets for a while, but built on a blockchain. So, and that, so those are kind of the two worlds and, and that's like the focus of the market right now. So this is really kind of a transformation for you. You said suddenly you've been vaulted into this new world and now you're like a uh, regular dinner guest at the home of the Winklevi twins. I guess. Well, they it goes rolling with them. I heard that's the rumor yeah. on the street. <laughs> well, so this is actually a really funny story. I remember when there's also stable coins, which is another thing in the crypto world. These are basically like, you know, blockchain representations of, of, of a dollar. So you can like move in and out of trades fairly quickly in the crypto trading world. You have, you have a stable coin that you can use that. And they actually launched one, the Winklevoss, it was called Gemini Dollar. And I remember they, as a way to kind of incentivize use, offered rebates to high-speed traders. And Ooh, I wrote sounds it, I, familiar. Well, mm. exactly. And that's kind of like what makes my job so fun is so many of these stories um, harken or, or sort of repeat the history that we see in regular markets, but they did not like that story at all. And I was like, mm. what are you so sensitive about rebates for? This is something that we've been talking about for, for years, uh, obviously a different sort of structured type of rebate mm -hmm. um, than what we see in equity markets. But I was like, what's the big deal? But they, um, ever since I put that story out, they have not only not invited me to any dinner parties, but they don't, <laughs> don't return any of my emails um, and, and are not very fond of me. Oh, well, come on. If, you, if you're listening to this, uh, Winklevi, please. Yeah, uh, Frank's yeah. A good I'm guy. I've got my olive branch ready. Yeah. Ch yeah. Chill out, guys, for the love of God. So a funny story on like the, the pricing. I remember a couple of years ago, we were sitting on the desk at IEX and at that time, Bitcoin jumped to like 16 grand or something. And I declared I'm going to put X number of dollars into Bitcoin. Half joking. And uh, the guy next to me, Eric Stockland, who used to work mm -hmm. at IEX, turns to me and says, listen, give me your money. 12 months from now, I'm going to give you 80% of your money back and you're going to thank me for it. And it proceeded to jump down to something like three grand. So he was completely oh, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Now I look at it earlier this year, I believe it was like 4,000 in March. And now, I, what would what, you say earlier? It's in the 30s now? 34,000, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so it kind so, of so, popped up to 40,000 
earlier in January and now we've kind of sat. So what what mm, is the fucking deal with that? It, like it's I, I'm gonna sound like an old man here. I just have no idea how something is swaying in people's view in terms of value. Like what what is what is changing there, changing so quickly? You kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but how can something swing around like that? Well, and, and I think just today, in fact, I saw online that you had posted a, a note about uh, price of Bitcoin going up because of a, um, a tweet by Elon Musk. Yeah. Right? Oh, you heard it here. John Ramsey did some yeah, homework for the go. podcast. Holy that's shit. Huge. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> man. I do Congratulations. my Congratulations. Congratulations. That's exactly right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> thanks, mm. for the, thanks for the impression there, John. Those, those, those yeah. are good for, good for our advertisers. Um, mm-hmm. The <laughs> what well, kind of speaks to this broader trend that we're seeing across markets where retail kind of is driving things and it's not really based on fundamentals or if it's based on any fundamentals, it's very few fundamentals. And that's kind of the, the underpinning of a Bitcoin. Since it's such a nascent asset, you see tons of volatility. So once momentum sort of starts moving one direction, it really continues to move in that direction. And so We've seen these cycles before. We saw them in 2016. We saw them um, then again in, in 20, 2017 to 2018. And then now we're seeing them kind of play out 20 to 2021. And we, we with every specific move, there's no clear catalyst. We kind of have to play a, you know, a guessing game. This morning, we actually saw the biggest expiry of options in the Bitcoin market. So we had 103,000 Bitcoin options. 103,000 Bitcoin worth of options expire today on Deribit, which is an options platform off, offshore, biggest ever. And so traders going into that were expecting a bunch of volatility. And then we, we had this, this Elon Musk tweet. And after the tweet, nobody reacted to the expiry, but after the tweet, we saw the price shoot up $5,000. And so mm. this is, you know, this is kind of the norm in Bitcoin, although if you look back the past year, the, 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 the asset hasn't really responded to news in this way. But this is kind of what we've been seeing across the market with, with stocks popping 100%, 50% for no reason whatsoever. And so we're kind of in this weird, unique spot where Crypto, which has been retail driven and historically has had these massive pops on, on things that make no sense, now is something that we see in equities like AMC, GameStop, et cetera. Yep. So the, well, the, exactly. it's, it's almost and like the same thing behind it to an extent. I, I, it did seem to me there are interesting analogies here. And um, just so our listeners know, we're recording this on January the 29th. So we've had several successive days of this, you know, sort of extraordinary real retail driven uh, trading in these various stocks that Frank just mentioned. Um, so it, there, there are some parallels here. Uh, in terms of kind of what's what's driving this and the um, frothy nature of this sort of trading and uh, what that says about the the risks potentially to investors in in these various types of products. But if we rewind the clock over the last year in Bitcoin, up until the past few weeks, it's been a really quiet run up to the forty thousand dollar level. Just. From, you know, if we look back on, uh, if we look at the chart going back to August, we were at around 11,000, just quietly adding like $1,000 each month um, 
with not so much volatility relative to the history of Bitcoin. And a lot of that was driven not by sort of retail mania, but by large institutions kind of starting in, in April with Paul Tudor Jones, adding these large positions. And so it's been uh, Tudor Investments, it's been Massachusetts Mutual, it's been publicly traded companies like MicroStrategy, which have added to their balance sheet as a treasury reserve strategy Bitcoin instead of U.S. dollars because of this mounting fear that we see even in, in traditional markets that there could be potentially a debasement of the dollar. There, there could be as a result of this aggressive monetary policy, um, a, devaluing, a devaluing of greenbacks. And so that's kind of been fueling the narrative on Bitcoin over the past six months, up until recently, when we've seen this kind of weird retail fervor end of the market. Mm. And we've looked at data that suggests this. Like back in 2017, when you had the crazy ICOs, which, you know, those are kind of a thing of the past to a degree, you know, raising 10, 20, 30, $40 million every other day. Crazy. I'm sorry, ICOs. What does that mean? ICOs. So these were initial like coin offerings. Initial coin oh, offerings. Thank you. Oh, yeah. wow. Ronan. So this hey, I did my homework ding, too. Ding, John. ding, yeah. ding. Yeah. Yeah. Frank, was, my, was mine better than John's? Yeah, you, you guys are both. <laughs> it's not a competition for Christ's sake, Ronan. You'll get right, your grade please. at the end of the show. Yeah, okay. At the end of the show. As long as mine's better. Well, just massive frothiness <laughs> in 2017 with these projects. You can call them ICOs. You can call them projects raising tens of millions of dollars for things that didn't exist really. Um, that's not what we've, we've been seeing in Bitcoin over the past year. Um, it's, it's definitely been driven by this more macro picture. Um, up until recently, we 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 haven't seen um, the engagement from retail at the level that it was in 2017 until a few weeks ago. And we look at that through like Wikipedia visits of the Bit of, of Bitcoin's page on Wikipedia. We look at that through traffic on sites like Coinbase, on sites like our own, and that has been muted. Even as the price was going up to 35, 40,000, th that has been very underwhelming up until the past few weeks. And now you're seeing the mania again with, you know, yeah. you know Elon Musk tweets pumping the market. But well, that wasn't sounds necessarily like you're the saying, case. like it, it gained, I guess you could say it attained credibility because institutional audience, right? Like specifically Bitcoin. But is it, is it the same across other digital assets or is it really just? Bitcoin that's gotten the stamp of approval. It's okay to dabble in for the, for the uh, mass mutuals and the tutors and those other firms that you mentioned. Is, is that how you see it or is it across? Yeah, the whole that's board? a good question. Um, I think there is a dichotomy there um, between like macro hedge fund investors who see, and this is evident in, in a note that Ray Dalio put out just yesterday that see in Bitcoin, again, an alternative to gold as an inflationary hedge. But then if you look more broadly across the crypto landscape, there's also um, this idea that the technology can kind of, the blockchain technology and some of the applications built on some of these other cryptocurrency um, blockchains can be used to facilitate other types of financial uh, transactions. So, the Bitcoin narrative, mostly macro hedge funds who see um, a, a sort of inflation play um, or insurance funds even that see an inflation play. And then on the 
on the more, I guess, I think if you think about what the banks are interested in, it's kind of different. They want to be able to custody digital assets, custody crypto assets, because they see sovereigns, nations moving towards central bank digital currencies. Yep. And I guess the thinking is, if you can kind of work with some of these cryptocurrency custodians, the likes of Fidelity, um, digital assets, the likes of Paxos, Coinbase, Bitco, then you have a strategic position from which you can then be better positioned to engage with, with these central bank digital currencies. But for Bitcoin specifically, it's really about this, this, this fear that we're going to see um, devaluation of money. And, and Ray Dalio kind of put this in his note that, you know, Bitcoin today, not necessarily two years ago or three years ago, has the features that make it an attractive storehold of, of wealth um, and to a degree has proven resilient. I mean, there aren't that many assets um, that have seen 80%, 90 drawdowns time and time again, and then have been able to kind yeah, of they bounce come, back yeah. and come back from that. You saw mm. it with the dot-com bubble, but this is like a 20 year span. We see these cycles in Bitcoin play out every few years. So I so, think so that's what's interesting folks. Yeah, so most of this um, uh, increase in Bitcoin has been institutional driven to this point. But with respect to the potential retail interest, um, I'm thinking about uh, the potential introduction of crypto or Bitcoin ETFs. Um, and so as our viewers, uh, our listeners may know, and you certainly know, um, there have been repeated attempts to introduce Bitcoin ETFs, uh, which the SEC has continued to um, to this point, to reject. Uh, yeah, well, and, Jay Clayton uh, doesn't like crypto. Well, you that know, and, and right, and we don't really know about Gary Gensler yet, but I'd be interested to get your thoughts. So Hester uh, Peirce, you know, one of the commissioners has been called kind of the crypto mom, um, mm-hmm. and she objected back in February to um, one of the rejections by the SEC and said that she, she thought that their rejection of the ETF proposal reflected a stubborn stodginess in the face of innovation, um, which I thought was nice alliteration. Um, did you just read that again? This is, I, I this did. Is the most homework I did. I've I ever was seen looking at it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but, but I thought it was clever. Um, so Gensler himself has recently uh, been teaching a course in crypto, I understand, yeah. at MIT. Um, what, where do you think, where do you see that going? Can I interject really quick before Frank gets going, just for those listeners who are not in our industry, Gary Gensler uh, was appointed as the new head of the SEC. So yeah, Gary will. Be... I think they know that. Right See, that right yeah. he, he can never be wrong. Sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll okay. edit that part out. We'll edit John's embarrassment out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my my grandma's going to be listening to this. She has See? no idea. Gra- grandma, Gary, Gary Gensler is the new yeah. head of the SEC. Yeah. All right, uh, not yet. He needs to be confirmed, but he will be. Oh, they knew that though, John. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, sorry, Frank. Okay. Go for it, man. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, there's a few things that you can kind of dissect here. Um, the path to the Bitcoin ETF has been a fascinating one, uh, fascinating one to follow. Um, the 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 sort of the sort of objection to it can be boiled down into two key issues. The first of which is the the fear of manipulation on offshore exchanges. So the mm-hmm. the amount of spot volumes that we see in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is overwhelmingly 
um, consolidated in Asia, where obviously mm. not only the SEC doesn't have authority, but no U.S. Um, financial regulator really can oversee those trading venues. So that's the big issue. And, and kind of in, in tandem with that issue is the lack of cross um, exchange surveillance, right? So we know in, in mm. traditional markets, it's funny in crypto, we call, we call you guys traditional markets constantly. <laughs> I, I think that- mm. We're very traditional. Yeah, which doesn't yeah. make sense because there's tons of innovation we're going on. less traditional than most, but there's yeah, tons of true. There's tons of innovation happening in US equity markets, but we like to just boil it all down to traditional markets. But so in traditional markets, right, you know, the exchanges kind of are working together to a degree to kind of sniff out things like spoofing and, and, and other, type, other forms of manipulation. That doesn't exist in crypto. So that's a big fear for um, approving a security that's based on, on this market. There's also tons of issues with market data, right? The price of Bitcoin on any given exchange trades um, at wildly different prices, especially when we see bouts of volatility, it's come down to a degree, but even still you can see Bitcoin trading at you know, $100, $200, $300 premiums on one exchange versus um, another one, especially um, between um, offshore and US venues. So these are kind of some of the issues that surround um, this decision to not approve an ETF. Now, what's funny is you kind of look at all of this objection to a, a Bitcoin ETF, the volatility, the market manipulation, the retail nature of the asset class, and you look at what we've been seeing this past week in some of the names like GameStop and AMC, yes. and you think, how the hell can we have ETFs based on well, how the hell can you say that the stock market is any less or any, yeah, any less volatile, any less manipulative than the crypto market, especially given this backdrop? So it's kind of reigniting this, this argument that the, the regulators, um, at least crypto evangelists would say this, are picking favorites or at least not laying out an argument that has any sort of um, consistency there. So in terms of whether or not we'll see something in the next year, Gary Gensler, right? You know, he's, he, he seems to be at least interested in the space. He also is not burnt out in the same way that Jay Clayton was with the ICO. Boom. I'll, like I've never talked to Jay Clayton and, and I don't, um, I haven't talked to anybody who has talked to him, but I could imagine given everything we saw in 2017, he would just not want to open Pandora's box with a, with an exchange traded product. We have them in Europe. Um, there aren't that many issues. We have tons of different financial derivatives tied to Bitcoin, the options market's growing, the futures market's growing. So a lot of people see this as evidence that, you know, we can have a, an ETF in 2021. Um, and that, that might um, be something that Gensler considers and, and then considers as part of an approval of one of the products. Interesting. Well, I mean, uh, your point about the trading in GameStop and all the other stocks um, could cut uh, one or two ways, right? You could also say this is um, uh, to do, do we want to be careful about introducing a new type of investment vehicle that may be um, particularly suited to the kind of frenzied speculative yeah. uh, kind of bid up and, and prices that we have seen in some of these other names. 
Uh, and, you know, what are the systemic implications of that? What are the implications in terms of investor protection, et cetera? Yeah. And, and that kind of can boil down to a lot of different things, right? Like, you know, what are these assets based on? Um, what is the value of, of some of them? And, and crypto kind of, when you use that phrase, it paints a broad brush. Like, obviously, we don't want any financial products that are, you know, kind of based on things like, um, you know, Dogecoin, for instance. But I think if you look at the size of the Bitcoin market and the degree of volatility, um, it is relatively mature as an asset compared to some of these other names that we've been seeing in the news, mm-hmm. at least in the way they trade, right? Um, there isn't a, there aren't, you know, things like, you know, earnings or cash flows that you can look to, but, you know, that hasn't stopped, um, you know, other commodity ETFs from being approved, right? Like there are oil mm-hmm. ETFs and gold ETFs and, you know, oil went to negative prices in, in early March. So I think yeah. the paradigm has shifted to a degree where, you know, a Bitcoin ETF for the first time in a while seems like a fairly reasonable thing given everything else that's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, it's really funny um, to kind of see a lot of the crypto people get on their high horse with a lot of the brokerage shutdowns and a lot of the things we've been seeing with Robinhood and, and the, some of the HFTs not being able to handle the messaging and the order flow when that is something that is big in crypto. I mean, Coinbase and so many of these venues are down almost on a daily basis. Like this is not, you know, so the infrastructure is still new. So I could see the other side of the argument that is, you know, we can't really, we can't really oversee these venues. And and then there's a whole other wide range of, of market structure issues of the exchanges also being brokers, also being retail brokers, also being proprietary trading shops. You'll get a kick out of this. There are There is literally a market make, an algorithmic market maker in crypto that owns a retail broker in the US, retail broker offshore, and just launched, un, or rather just purchased, acquired another retail broker that is... Um, also a data tracking site and is offering tokenized stocks in us listed equities. So it's Jesus. like, Whoa, like what is going on here? Web. <laughs> hey, can I, Frank, well, yeah. while you're talking about the structure there and that they have, you know, tech outages quite often, it got, it got me thinking like I've never bought Bitcoin, uh, but I've heard of like websites, like a, a Coinbase where you go and do that. Mm-hmm. When institutions trade, do they go to the same type of websites? Mm. Or is, is it the fact that institutions question. are getting in? Are they, are they knocking down these sites? Like, wh- why are they question. having such, such outages? So that kind of goes, that kind of speaks to the point I was trying to make. So let's break down Coinbase for a second. So Coinbase has an order book. They have a, a traditional exchange business. They match buyers and sellers, and they have an exchange. It used to be called GDAX. Now it's called Coinbase Pro, I guess. Um, they also operate a retail brokerage firm. So it'd be akin to if, you know, NYSE operated, you know, E-Trade. They also operate an over-the-counter trading desk. An agency brokerage doesn't, I don't think it has a name. It's just Coinbase Prime. No, no, it's Coinbase Prime. And they also now operate an, an aggregated um, aspiring prime broker. So Coinbase has several businesses. Um, 
prime brokerage, OTC, retail brokerage, exchange. It'd be like, kind of like if you think about NYSE and how they owned Archipelago. That is where the institutions are coming. They're going to, uh, re- uh, excuse me, they're going to Coinbase's OTC desk, which doesn't have the same type of issues that Coinbase has. Mm. The issues facing Coinbase are more API issues on the on the site. So like you have this overload in messaging and and there's a breakdown on the site. The, there's no issues with the with the exchange engine itself. So that's that's the difference. And so large institutions are able to go to Coinbase's OTC desk. There's several other large OTC desks like Genesis Global based in New York, FINRA regulated broker the guys behind that ran second market, which now is NASDAQ private market. So yeah. there are all these different venues. Um, they're not t whopping into, you know, Coinbase's retail brokerage to like put on a $50 million trade. They're, they're, they're going to the prime desk or the agency desk and you have an array. And this is what's been fun to cover on my side of new firms that are trying to break into execution services from Fidelity digital assets to NYDIG, which is a New York-based firm operated by Stone Ridge, a $10, million, or $10 billion asset manager. And they're all trying to equip them with these tools um, that you see in traditional, that word again, capital markets of cap intro, of execution services, of you know, aggregated liquidity. And so those things exist and they're, and they're building up. The one thing that we don't see or that's missing um, is sort of the ability to trade across various venues, the ability to have a venue, you know, if you have 10 million sitting on one account, you can't leverage that on another account like we can see prime desk um, in, in equities uh, facilitate. Um, you also don't have the ability to trade derivatives and, and spot side by side. So th- this is a very interesting corner of the, of the crypto market, which is this emerging prime brokerage um, area. And that's where the institutions are going to trade. They're not opening up a, a, well, I guess you could maybe do it online. I don't know the details, but there is a white glove alternative to these websites where, you know, average Joes like us would go and buy their Bitcoin. Yeah. So I guess from a retail perspective, in terms of the policy question, at what point do you really open up these kinds of alternatives to retail is almost a, um, in some sense, a philosophical argument as to at what point is a market mature enough that you can have um, some sense of confidence that retail investors will be able to participate in a full way, uh, you know, understand the risks and accept the risks uh, and, you um, and then, if you're a regulator, because I've been a regulator in the past, you won't get, uh, you know, you won't get burned at the stake uh, because large numbers of people end up um, taking huge losses. Well, I, I would answer that question differently if you asked me a month ago. Like, you might be better off buying a Bitcoin ETF on a platform like Fidelity or mm. one of these other retail brokers than you would be buying spot Bitcoin on Coinbase because Coinbase goes out so much. Right. But now what we've been seeing with the retail brokers and equities is they're going out just as much. So it's like, you know, six of one, right. half a dozen of the other to a degree. Right. Yeah. So what, what about Silicon Valley? Like what, what's their involvement? Like the tech companies, are they getting into this game? You know, we, we heard, uh, I mean, it's probably three years ago at this point, like Facebook were involved with oh, yeah. Libra, et cetera is, is that gone? What's going on? 
So that you, you want to talk about regulatory issues. That's something that has been really held back by the regulators, not just in the US, but globally. I remember being Libra at, in particular. Libra, especially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's just because, like, you know, you have folks on the Hill who just they love know, Facebook. They they just <laughs> they just despise <laughs> the firm. And I saw I saw it firsthand. I was at the hearings and having Senator Crapo. Uh, Senator Brown just ream David Marcus on this proposal. And it was a fairly like overreaching idea to create like this system where the mechanisms kind of resemble to a degree a, a, a money mutual account, but, but won't get into that. But the, at the heart of the issue was this idea of Facebook, which has gotten in so much trouble with data and the like, having control over something that could rival the U.S. dollar. Absolutely. You don't fuck around with the dollar, right? I mean, yeah. nobody, you know, yeah. So that was what, what, what really pissed off regulators and got them upset about this project. So they scaled it back. Originally, it was going to be a token that kind of represented um, a basket of treasuries and also other um, global currencies, the euro, Japanese yen, et cetera. Scaled that back, said, all right, we're just going to make this effectively a representation of the dollar, another stable coin. And these are these are, this is a corner of crypto that's becoming more and more interesting. These, these stable coins, blockchain-based dollars, um, the market from the beginning of last year to the end went from, I think, 5 billion in issuance to 25 billion. So effectively- What, what is that? Out. So there's a, there's a straight correlation between the, the, the digital asset and a dollar or any currency? Yeah, so, so like, you, yeah. you get, yeah. So you have these different- um, these different firms or consortiums offering a way to have a dollar that is pegged, or excuse me, the other way around, a, yeah. a tokenized dollar that's pegged to the price of, of $1. And so oh. what that allows you to do is then engage with the blockchain world, leveraging the liquidity you would have in dollars. So you can have a hundred, you, you get Tether or USDC. These are some of the firms that offer this. Um, $10 million, they give you $10 million, $10 million worth of a dollar stable coin. And yep. then you can use that to sort of, you know, park it into different Ethereum protocols. And that's where we get into like this whole DeFi mess, centralized finance, where you can kind of add liquidity to these platforms using these stable dollars to earn, in some cases, like 20, 50, 100% yield. But Basically, what, what listeners would need to know is that they are kind of tokenized dollars. And this is kind of a, a hot trend in, in the crypto world. What, what got them popular originally was just being able to use them as a trading pair. So you can move in and out of um, a given crypto with a bit, a bit less friction because I see. You're, you're not necessarily going, all right, I have to get um, the dollars from my bank to my crypto account so that I can buy Bitcoin. You can easily send these dollars that represent, or again, excuse me, these stable coins that represents dollars quickly into your account to trade. Um, and, and in some instances without like KYC, right? Because it's just on an Ethereum blockchain. Um, so you, you, you avoid those um, parameters. So that's the idea behind it. And that's what Facebook was trying to do and is still trying to do. Um, and many firms are trying to do. So you have, you know, JP Morgan coin, there's another large bank, that's also working on this. Um, and many people view this as 
a very interesting way to kind of either engage with their clients or customers, right? You know, instead of giving you Starbucks rewards, I can give you Starbucks coin. It's really just a dollar, but you can use it within our network. So that's kind of the, the thinking there. It's probably a perfectly um, uh, legitimate idea. It's just unfortunately with the Libra um, that it, uh, you know, it was identified so much with fa Facebook as political currency has not really been, um, uh, has been on the wane, one might say. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of like, you could really get into some sort of ethical questions around it, like about who controls money and who should control money. And, you know, some people have equated it to, if you remember, not if you remember specifically you, but reading in history books about, you know, like the, the, the mines that would kind of give you, pay you in, in money that you can only use at their, you know, um, you know, their, their shop, so to speak. And, and whether or not it's kind of reintroducing mm -hmm. like a kind of antiquated way of, of exchange. I think Frank um, just called us old, by the way, John. No, <laughs> I think he called me old. I do I remember that actually. I mean, you know, I was, I was actually there at the signing of the thirty-four act, so I, I remember all of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I think we we'll transition to our question of questions that we ask every guest, and I'm not sure if we prepped you that we would ask you this, but um, no, I think so. So, what's what's your favorite Wall Street movie, and why? Well, I was actually watching um, The Big Short the other night. I'm, I'm thinking about buying a property and I kind of relocated to Sarasota and it's kind of like a similar dynamic in the, in the market right now down here. Like there's so many folks coming from the Northeast yeah. and from all sorts of different places in the country who, you know, want to buy property. So there's all there's not enough inventory for how many people want to buy and like rates are really low everybody's interested and so the market's overheating but it's it's funny because the realtors just remind me so much of the scene in the big short where they're i think they're in miami and they're like driving through that one complex and they're talking about how the market is so frothy i'm like holy shit like <laughs> i hope that i'm not going to be the one holding this bag for this house that's going to be worth like 50% after, you know, the Florida housing market collapses. You don't want to be the top ticker for sure. Yeah. yeah no, and the no. hurricane comes through and wipes you out. Yeah, exactly. And so I've been like hyper paranoid, but that's just like my nature kind of being a reporter, you know, you ever, you, you think everybody's kind of about to get you. So like every banker who, you know, talks to me about a loan or every like realtor, I'm just like, all right. And just like in the movie, yeah, how what's are your you, angle? How, how are you trying to how fuck you, me? How are you trying to fuck me? Exactly. <laughs> That's so um, that is classic. So it was just kind of fun to watch that um, recently with this sort of, you know, life thing going on that I have. Nice. And it's a great movie. It's a great movie. Might be our, our, our best answer so far, John. Actually, he brought real life experience mm. yeah. into it. Hey, listen, I'm mm -hmm. very, I'm very yeah. deep. I'm incredibly yeah. deep. Sounds to me that deserves a pair of socks. Ding, yeah, ding, ding, so. ding, ding. Boxes ding, ding, of ding. socks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I will wear them proudly. We should send them the very colorful ones for Florida. We have a bright orange I, I, ones. We'll send you every version that we've got. Frank, thank, thanks so much for, for agreeing to join our podcast. This was My fantastic. pleasure. I hope it was um, fun. Yeah, it always was a fun. lot of fun. Always interesting. Goodbye. <laughs> mm -hmm.
Cheers, John. You want to do a shit Irish accent to end this? All right, then. We're rolling. May the road rise up to meet you. Thank you, Frank, for coming on. We'll see you. Is that supposed episode. to be Ronan? Yeah, I, I think so. Well, I have no idea. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. Or Mrs. Doubtfire. I think it's more Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. Okay, sure right, enough. Whatever. Yeah. Over and out, peeps. Thanks very All much, right. Frank. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>